Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Arcade Podcast. This is the second of two special podcasts coming live, or as live as I can make them, from the NCBDS, the 31st National Conference on the Beginning Design Student. I'm in Houston, Texas at the Gerald D. Hines College of Architecture at the University of Houston. It is Saturday the 28th of February and in this podcast you're going to be hearing the voices of some of the delegates and organisers of this year's conference. If you scroll back to episode 5 you'll hear highlights from yesterday's first full day of the conference. Meg Jackson and I'm the Foundation Coordinator at University of Houston. And you are also on the organising committee of the conference here. How did the NCBDS come to be hosted in Houston this year? Well, to host the conference, you um, submit a proposal, which uh, my colleagues and I did quite a few years ago, actually. Um, And in each conference, they choose the members meet and choose the next site for the hosts. And so we knew about two years ago. So this is two years in the making. And obviously a conference has a theme and a, and a kind of overarching structure and then inevitably people will write their papers to that theme. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to propose this theme of the conference and did it reflect the interests of yourself or the college or the, the committee? Yeah. Um, well, the theme is engaging media and I think at the time that we wrote the proposal it was about how um, there was a lot of dialogue about whether things were going to be in what medium things should be presented both to the students and in which medium they should they should start exploring Um, and part of what we wanted to say and do was that um, architecture itself or design itself um, is all about the scale more about the scale than about the medium so I think we were we wanted to host an event where people would actually think about the media in which they were engaging in the stu- with the students, whether that was um, digital media, whether that was analog, whether that was uh, fine arts, um, whether that was the way in which we draw or communicate. Yesterday you presented a paper, so you were adding more work onto your busy to-do list this week. Now that you've had a bit of time to relax and just listen and move around, what have been the particular moments or highlights for you of the conference that you've now enjoyed? I think my favorite part of NCBDS conferences is the fact that there's usually a lot of um, free time for discussion. I mean, I I appreciate all the work that goes into the papers and preparing the presentations and presenting the research, Uh, but this conference tends to be more about engaging with each other um, and and whether it's talking about you know, strategies or um, sort of understanding what everyone's doing um, and how they're presenting beginning design to students and how, what they think about the role of um, design education. So I think my, the highlight has been just to kind of sit back and listen to everything that's um, having sort of the opportunity to sit back and listen to what's going on. I'm here with Blaine Brownell, who is Associate Professor of Architecture at the University of Minnesota and the Director of the Graduate Studies Program there. And Blaine, you delivered the conference keynote speech yesterday evening, and unlike many keynote speakers at conferences I've been to, you've had the courtesy to stay for the rest of the conference, and you've been dipping in and out of the uh, paper sessions. Um, As we're here at lunch on the second day, and we've seen a lot of papers, and I've been to a lot of interesting sessions, I just wanted to start by asking, what have been some of the highlights for you? What have been some of the interesting papers you've heard, or the themes that are emerging at this conference? Well, certainly there's a, and thank you for the question, uh, certainly there is 
uh, a prioritization or emphasis on making and uh, media, given that the theme is about media and, and materials factor uh, prominently. And I should also I should also say that because I can attend all three or sometimes four sessions in parallel at, at this at the same time, although I would like to very much, I've been focused on that area as well, uh, given that my research interest is in materials. So I'll, I'll offer you a very limited opinion, <laughs> a very small slice. Uh, I think some things that intrigue me are the interdisciplinary work. I know that this is a buzzword, interdisciplinarity and working uh, outside of our discipline. Uh, the and, and certainly uh, you know, many are trying to, many within architecture have become enamored with uh, programming and uh, scripting and using uh, devices like Arduino to uh, make interactive design uh, possible for students. But I was especially intrigued uh, yesterday by Meg and Michael's presentation on interactive design First of all, it, it appeared that their class is, is something that uh, was a com completely engaging experience for their students on, on so many levels, and their students being students from multiple disciplinary backgrounds, and uh, making contraptions, apparatus that would move not only from manual cues, but and also computer programmed cues, uh, but also very intrigued that they're actually using EEG equipment to allow, and this, I want to talk to them more because this sounds, I haven't quite seen anything like this, uh, to allow some students to control matter, interactive surfaces or, or interfaces, to control them with brain waves. We saw the, in the presentation. Were you in that presentation? Did you see that? Session? I, I did see that presentation, and a measure of what I took from it, and I think this is a great compliment to them, is I know nothing about parametric design. And being in the UK, that word has been overused by certain star architects, and that rubs off on students who use it and don't know why they use it. And I think some practices have built their maybe a reputation on a, a slightly un, a slightly shaky ground. But what we saw in that paper were you know, students with very little programming and coding experience. And I, I could imagine myself being in their elective, um, buying $20 of equipment, and then going back into the architecture studio and making a kind of classic architecture model with some stretched fabrics and toothpicks, and then putting that together, as you say, with, in some cases, now an ECG. Yeah. ECG? No. Something like that. <laughs> with a, okay, that's Electro a... A magic thing that reads your brain waves, yes. <laughs> or in, in some cases, a Kinect device from a right, from Kinect a home device. gaming machine. That's right. Um, and I I found that really fascinating. So your research and your writing has been about materials right. and about material innovation, and your keynote was about that. Right. Um, do you think that might be an area that will allow architecture educators and students to perhaps get a better handle on our material innovation because I get the sense we're not that good at really engaging with materials and innovations in them. I certainly hope so. Something that I, I'm, I'm actually uh, 
happy for this opportunity to talk with you because I've, I've thought about some points that I didn't emphasize last night as, as I would have liked to in retrospect. And one of those is just the, the way in which innovation is taught in the classroom or over the course of an academic program. And just to clarify, by innovation, I'm not, I'm meaning in very general terms, as I said last night, uh, uh, creative, you know, original contribution, creative production, uh, et, et cetera. Not, not necessarily kind of from a business marketing specific uh, standpoint, but innovation very broadly uh, considered. So having said that, in, it, for my experience, it's, it's a little odd. I think, I think we could be much more aware of what we're doing. In my experience, in the design studio sequence, there's an underlying implicit presumption on the instructor's part, and I think it's absorbed subconsciously in the student's part that original contribution must occur. Without much of a discussion about why or what it looks like when it happens or what the process is to get there. Uh, the process is either fairly rigorously defined or, or maybe somewhat rigidly defined in fundamental design studios and then loosens up over time. But that process isn't ever, at least in my experience, articulated as something that allows you to achieve that goal. As I've heard it, it's always something that allows you to become a better designer or to develop a, a competent project or other types of goals than uh, to develop some kind of meaningful original contribution and what, what that means. Uh, at the same time, and I talked about material technology sequences, my experience has been, for the, for the most part, there are many exceptions here because there's a lot of interesting things, you know, stuff here, but for the most part, material technology is taught in terms of learning the rules and how things are done, and innovation almost never enters into the discussion with the exception of looking at precedents and only then not really discussed. So if we're talking about uh, gunite being used uh, for the first time, you know, in kind of early brutalist buildings, uh, whatever, it's how, how innovative was that, how important was that at the time, or, or whatever kind of technique might have been developed uh, as a material practice that was novel and it made some kind of contribution uh, there's very little discussed about its meaning and importance in architectural history. So <clears throat> I think that, I mean, this is something that I feel is very important. Uh, if, if for no other reason than that we can simply understand what we're trying to achieve. <laughs> so perhaps chasing originality is just a, that's a distraction. Don't try and be original. Just... Yeah just do something even if it's because some of the models of the, the students after that paper I went upstairs yeah. and I talked to some of the students and I played with I pressed buttons and waved my hand and, oh, and danced around in front of them um, yeah. those students were making very small steps in the big yeah. scheme of things of innovation but in terms of what they were learning and how they were engaging with that technology and material I think that's, that was probably more seismic so it wasn't original but it right. was interesting for them and it was a it was uh, putting together pieces of material and equipment that just haven't been put together in that way before. 
Right. No, I, I, I fully agree with that. And it's a really good point. I'm, I'm glad that you emphasized the point about originality because it can be debilitating to, to have as a, as a very out, you know, consciously spoken goal that we expect you to be original and have, make original contributions. That can be, uh, that can cut people down at the knees, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, and, and, and for the wrong reasons too. Uh, I, I think I would agree with you in that that particular studio is innovative insofar as it's allowing students to achieve those small discoveries uh, in, in this process where they and I would anticipate this, although I haven't talked to the students, they likely feel that they're being uh, pulled along this trajectory of learning uh, at a fairly rapid pace that's actually incredibly fun at the same time. Uh, so that process where you're, you feel challenged uh, and at the same time that you're seeing progress and you're seeing measurable progress uh, is, is a really interesting thing uh, related to a phenomenon that that scholars have called flow and other types of you know uh, kind of conditions of, of working and, and progress in working it's a, it's a really interesting uh, it's, a, it's an interesting condition that I would personally like to learn a lot more about how to create that how do you what and I think I think most of the attendees of this conference are interested in that. When that happens, uh, how how can you uh, make it more of a sort of planned event, even though you you allow for serendipity to occur, of course, uh, and not just an accidental occurrence. So I am Catherine Wetzel. I am an associate professor at Illinois Institute of Architecture. I was the past chair. Last year, we were Leslie Johnson and myself were the chair. And you also presented one of the first papers at the conference, so you had the privileged position of getting it out of the way. You actually captured my attention because you talked very intriguingly about a way of teaching technology and drawing together, which encourages me because I know nothing about the software itself, but it was a very interesting approach to how you can encourage students to work between the manual and the digital and understand that's part of the bigger picture. In terms of the conference so far, on halfway through the second full day now, what have been the highlights for you? What have you particularly enjoyed about the event? I think what's always interesting is uh, the collegial discussions, you know, and it's always great to see people you've seen in past years present new work uh, and also see young people presenting their first time at the conference so there's a kind of you know new and old that kind of goes on and you you really get to see a variety of approaches to to beginning design but you also get a kind of intellectual conversation about um, how all of the pro the approaches can find validity and also find uh, a voice that can kind of unite with another voice, you know? And so there are common kind of grounds that start to get defined. Um, I think one of the interesting things for me is you always can see a snippet of an idea that maybe out of context, you can put in a context that helps your own teaching. So it's never exactly about sort of, oh, they did that and that was great. Why don't I just do that, you know? It's more like, hey, I like that idea. 
So is there anything you're going to take back to Chicago with you this year? Well, yeah, so I, I, was, uh, I saw Brian Dugan's presentation on drawing, and um, I, I will definitely take some things back from that. I, I have known Brian and, and know his work, so that makes it easier for me to kind of have an affinity to it, but at the same point, it's something that... Um, I probably it's timely in the sense that I have something I need to do this summer that would make some of that uh, kind of attitude towards how one engages the process of teaching useful. Yeah, I was in that session as well. In fact, I spoke to Brian yesterday, and he was the perfect person to present the second, uh, the first presentation on the second day because he has a tremendous enthusiasm for teaching drawing in Sharjah, in the yeah. UAE. So I, I completely agree that was a Fantastic paper. I've been teaching this project that has to do with using an eraser to make stamp fields, and I've taught it for a number of years. And this was at the this was at the core of your paper initially. Yeah, yeah, yesterday. I presented it a little bit yesterday. But the irony is that I stole that idea from a previous NCVDS conference, where somebody was using the end of a pencil eraser to do stamp drawings, and so that's what I that's what I mean by you can get something and you can appropriate it in a way that makes it interesting it's not the same thing but you twist it so good, anyway. good teachers copy and great teachers right, steal right, right right or snippets you know like a hunch right uh, my name is Leslie Johnson I'm a, a faculty member at the Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago I'm a studio assistant professor but my the reason I'm here at NCBDS is because I run the second year undergraduate studio, so this is a beginning design conference. I also teach a, a first year courses in urbanism, things like that. So um, I'm also a past chair, and NCBDS is a really interesting structure because it doesn't have a formal body. It's not like ACSA or, or other kinds of you know, uh, organized bodies. It's a really kind of loose association of people that have hosted previously that are hosting in the future. So every time a school or a set of chairs or chair hosts, they essentially structure the conference however they like. But its history is in a set of informal conversations. You should talk to Tim McGinty if you can, you have, um, to, to actually have a forum to talk about pedagogy, to talk about teaching and the challenges and content of teaching. Uh, you know, it sort of predates the internet. And so now that we have the ability to find other people's assignments really easily, I think what's happened is that NCBDS has become a, a forum that's more structured, presenting papers, talking about a variety of sort of meta questions, thinking about pedagogy and teaching, specifically building design, but also projects. So we still see great student work and we hear about a week-long project, we hear about a year-long project, there's a really interesting mix. And I think because of that, the, the culture of the conference is really sort of friendly and, and less formal. You know, people are uh, happy to talk to, to whomever uh, about the work or just in general. There's a very different air at NCBDS than at some other conferences. Um, you know, and the formalizing of architectural education from an academic standpoint, uh, I think it's a special thing to be able to be here. But it's funny, Houston is its a very different uh, feel than I think what it was like being in Chicago last year. Maybe it's because I don't have to, the stress of hosting this year. But, um, you know, I think every conference takes on a little bit of the vibe of the school. So this big space, this kind of openness, the fact that we can kind of see the studios very different than what it was like being in Crown Hall where you're smashed up against the students. And it's, it's an interesting thing, so... 
there's a formalism to being in Johnson's work versus Fenderos work, Mises work. So. I, I set out yesterday in the first episode not to try and sum up the conference okay. and not to try and make any big themes. But then that's a bit unfair because I then talk to people like yourself and I say, well, what, what have you seen emerging? Are there, are there any moments themes or trends? Well, perhaps themes, but are there, it could be as simple as a moment that you've enjoyed. Or are, <laughs> are there, in fact, big themes emerging this year compared to the last few conferences that you've attended? Well, the funny thing about NCBDS is that it's sometimes an entry uh, conference. And so... What ends up happening is that you do hear people presenting things that are sort of aha moments for them, but maybe have been presented many times before. And there's something nice about that, that there's a kind of conversation between junior faculty or new faculty and, and older faculty. And sometimes the older faculty are like, well, we've already, we've already heard this, you know. But I think the fact that we have such a variety of programs means that occasionally we have these very specific conversations. Like we just had a conversation about should beginning design begin to recognize the fact that the kind of unstableness or the uncomfortability of being in a design process when you're new to it, that it's scary and it's hard and you're not quite sure how it works. Is that a problem in today's modern academy where there's a lot of institutional pressure to make sure students graduate in a certain period of time? There's a lot of students saying, oh, I don't feel comfortable here. Maybe I need to switch majors or programs, you know, and that there's a there's an outside pressure that doesn't allow that space for the space for confusion, which is the essence of design, right? And the conversation that we just had was talking about whether or not we make that an explicit conversation, right? Do we talk to the students directly about that? I think we all do that in our own unique ways, you know, we're sort of psychologists and teachers at the same time, but um, I think there's a larger question, which is, if this is a discipline, beginning design is a discipline, do we need to be precise about saying it's important to have that moment of confusion or concern, disconcern, or you're learning a language, you know, and that's not easy. You know, I, I, think, I think that's always a larger theme. So whether it's someone presenting a project which is trying to specify the precise way to learn the language, or someone's talking about what does it mean to learn it, um, I think that that's, that's kind of the conversation that's been happening. You know, it's, it's funny, you know, because some people talk about pressures that they have institutionally that are very different than my experience. You know, I mean, I'm at a, uh, a school that is not a giant university. It's very specific programs. And, but it's funny how those questions are kind of universal. So the pressures for my students are, you know, should they stay at IIT if they're not interested in a Bachelor of Architecture? But, you know, at a even at a university like UH, they could change majors. I mean, there's there's a kind of different pressure to them. But, you know, beginning design professors are not talking about professional track questions explicitly, and sometimes that confuses students. They come with assumptions about what it means to be an architect, and and we have to talk about those things with them. And that takes time. It takes space. It takes messiness <laughs> a little bit. So, And I've, I've been hearing that in every every presentation today I think trying to put my finger on how what I would describe it as but I will say one thing that's sort of a critique but is if that's okay um, but I'm really glad it's starting to happen is that for a number of years there was a big conversation about some analog digital dialectic you know and I think that maybe more some of the older faculty that thought it was a kind of binary question but we seem to have really moved on from that and People are talking about hybrid programs, hybrid media programs, 
And what's interesting is that it, a couple of years ago, it was really about specifically how to hybridize teaching analog and digital together. Um, but now the conversation, thank God, is moved to, well, really it's not about the skill question at all, but how do we specify the critical thinking components which allow all of those media to come in at different points. So I uh, moderated a session where they were quite specifically saying there's a larger arc here and the media plugs in and it makes it takes the pressure off those things as being somehow scaled and you go from the hand to the computer or you somehow graduate to more complex skills. And that's that's always a huge question in beginning design. You know, do you teach skills quote unquote first and then then you can kind of do the work or do you just get in there and work it out and the skills kind of come when you need them and and um, I'm, it's nice to see that the conversation has sort of moved back to that latter, latter question so yeah. My name is Jacqueline Nemec. I am a assistant teaching professor at Drexel University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, this is my first time at the conference, and I spoke yesterday about um, integrating movement or the um, analyzing of movement into beginning design. So how we occupy space and experience it rather than just draw it. So that was my topic yesterday, and what made me feel at ease in the conference is that um, I, I didn't feel as though I was the only one kind of struggling with these issues of prescription in, in education and how, um, how to integrate openness and creativity but still have outcomes that are acceptable. <laughs> so um, I'm feeling maybe not like I've solved any problems but feel as though I've um, found that others have the same. And that it's not, it's not uh, I'm not alone. Um, my name is Negor Kalantar. I teach, I'm an assistant professor at Texas A&M. I pursued my PhD at Virginia Tech and I'm new Texas A&M. And is this the first time you've come to this conference? Yes, this is the first time. And you presented a paper yesterday. Can you tell us a little bit about that yes. paper? It's about beginning transformable design and how and why we have to teach to the beginning designer the way to think about building static and kinetic, you know, together. So because mostly we teach only static, you know, uh, structure to the student, and we never even put the opportunity for them to think about, you know, motion in architecture. So my statement was, why we don't give this opportunity to them? Because we have a lot of elements in architecture that they move doors, windows, you know, there are a lot of, you know, motion in architecture that we ignore it as a designer. And so what have you taken from the other parts of the conference? Has there been any particularly enjoyable moment for you or anything that really means a lot to you? It was great. I think each 20 minutes you could see a summary of life of one year of, you know, one educator around, you know, uh, this country. And, and it's really, you know... It's worse because if you want to get this experience, you have to fly to any of these states and see it by yourself. So it's opportunity. You can just come here and see all together and you can choose, you know, because it was four different, you know, space that you could attend. So I can say that this is that, that was the best two days here in the past months. 
And that is episode six of the Arcade Podcast. I'm James Benedict Brown, speaking to you from the University of Houston in Texas. This episode of the podcast has been made possible by the Leicester School of Architecture at De Montfort University. Find out more at dmu.ac.uk. The title music is by Magic Panda. Check him out at soundcloud.com forward slash magicpanda. You can get new episodes of the podcast downloaded automatically to your computer or mobile device. Just go to the website arcadepodcast.com for instructions or search iTunes for the Arcade Podcast. I'd like to offer a big thanks to all of the conference delegates and organizers who spoke to me over the three days of the conference. Their contribution is really appreciated. You can find out more about the NCBDS at the conference's website, beginningdesign2015.org. The next conference in 2016 will be held at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, California. Coming up next week, Episode 7 will report from the recent Architecture Students Network conference in Manchester. You'll be hearing from students of architecture up and down the UK as they meet and discuss the issues facing their education. I'm James Benedict Brown. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.